Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans. It's the sixth book in the New Testament right after Acts. We're in chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, thank you, Nikki. Uh, this morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans, and so excited to dig into just a couple verses this morning, so not going to make a lot of ground, but just a couple verses uh, during our time together this morning. And as we get started, I want you to think about something with me real quick, just a, a question. And the question is this, what is the one word that, that comes to your mind that best describes your feelings or your attitude towards evangelism? What is the one word that kind of best describes your, your attitude toward sharing the gospel? What is the one word that best describes your, your feelings or your attitude toward telling other people about Jesus? And so then for some, that, that word might be fear. So when you think about telling people about Jesus, you, you get all anxious and, and afraid. For others, the, the word might be hard or challenging or difficult, that when you think about evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, you find it to be hard, you find it to be difficult, you find it to be challenging. For others, that word might be apathy. The reality, if you were on to be able to share, be guilty, like you, man, don't do it. And so there's this kind of level of guilt that you experience and that you have. Like I think all of these and more are common words that we would say describe our feelings or our attitude toward evangelism and sharing the gospel with others and telling others about Jesus. But there's another word I want us to think about this morning. And, and this word is, is the word that best describes Paul's feelings and the Apostle Paul's attitude toward evangelism and sharing the gospel and telling others about Jesus. And the word that best describes Paul's attitude or, or feelings toward evangelism isn't fear, it's, it's not guilty, it's not apathy, it's not hard, it's not challenging. Instead, the word that best describes his attitude and feelings toward evangelism, it's the word eager. Eager. But if you remember last week in, in the passage that Mike preached in verses 8 through 15, at the very end of that passage there, in verse 15, Paul says that the reason that he wants to go to Rome and visit the church at Rome and get to Rome is because in verse 15 he says that he's eager to preach the gospel to them. And think about that word for a minute, right? Eager. Meaning, meaning he can't wait. Meaning he's on the edge of a seat meaning he has a strong desire, meaning he wants it really, really bad. And so I don't know about you, but I think about my life. Like, I've been eager for a lot of different things, right? Been eager for, like, chocolate cake. Been eager for, especially when I was a kid, like for Christmas, right? Don't even sleep at night, just can't wait for, I'm eager for Christmas morning. Man, this past 
Janu- like January and beginning of February, like the Chiefs, right? Super Bowl, eager to watch the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl, eager to watch the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, eager to watch that big game. And so this word eager, we're eager for a lot of things in this life, right? Think about things right now that's going on in your life that you're like, you're kind of eager for, that you strongly desire, you can't wait for. That might be the birth of a child, it might be marriage, it might be a new job, it might be a new house, it might be whatever it might be. But would that word eager describe your attitude toward evangelism? When you think about sharing the gospel with others, would the word eager best describe your feelings toward evangelism? Or, or, or not? If not, then like how, how do we get there? Like how do we get from fear to eagerness? How do we get from guilt to eagerness? How do we get from apathy to eagerness? Well, that's what we're going to see in these two little verses here this morning in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. What we're going to see within these two small little verses are three reasons for why we should be eager to share the gospel. Three reasons for why we should be eager to share the gospel. And the way we're going to see that is is that at the very end, again, like I mentioned earlier, at the very end of the passage that Mike preached last week in verse 15, Paul left off, we left off with Paul saying that he was eager to get to Rome so that he could preach the gospel. In verses 16 and 17 then this morning, Paul is going to explain, Paul is going to give the specific reasons for why he's eager to preach the gospel. So verse 15 I'm eager to preach the gospel. Verses 16 and 17, hear the reasons that I'm eager to preach the gospel. And as we see these, pray that they would be, and help us to see that these different contexts in which God has placed us, that these same reasons that caused Paul to be eager to preach the gospel should be the same reasons that we should be eager to preach the gospel as well. So the first reason is this, and you see it on your, your handout there, but first reason we should be eager Share the gospel with others is this. It's because we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel. This is the first reason Paul gives here in verse 16. Look there with me at the very beginning of verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The key word there in verse 16 is the word for. Yeah, the word gospel is important. We'll get, we'll get to that in just a minute. But the key word here, in order to understand Paul's flow of thought, His logic here, his argument here is the word for. And the the word for there at the very beginning of verse 16 causes us to immediately go back to verse 15 and what he said in verse 15. And again, look at what he says in verse 15. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For, meaning here's the reason I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For... The reason is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So again, do you see the connection there? The reason that Paul is eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome is because he is not ashamed of the gospel. And this makes sense, right? See that connection there? That that makes sense, right? You're not going to be eager to tell somebody about something that you're ashamed of. 
Like if you're ashamed of something you've done, you're probably not going to go out and tell other people about it. If you're ashamed of of just fill in the blank, you're probably not going to run out and be all eager and excited to to share and and tell other people about it. And that's the connection that Paul is making here. The reason that he's eager to preach the gospel, verse 15, is because he's not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16. And so at first glance, I don't know about you, but it's easy to hear that and say, obviously Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. Like, he's, he's an apostle. Like, he's the apostle Paul. How can he be ashamed to preach the gospel? How can he be ashamed to, to tell and share the gospel with others? Well, it's imp- in saying that, it's important to remember that Paul had a whole lot of reasons for why he could have been ashamed of the gospel. Like, first off, in the eyes of the Jews, the gospel was, like, horribly offensive. Like, their idea of a Messiah was one that was going to come, overthrow the Romans, and reign in this great victory. And then here comes Paul, talking about the Messiah, is suffers, dies, hangs on a cross, is cursed by God. When a Jew hears that, like, that's horribly offensive. And not only that, for a Gentile, the gospel wasn't offensive to a Gentile. The gospel was utter foolishness. It was like crazy business. It was crazy talk. It was utter and complete nonsense. Like in that day, there was nothing more shameful than than hanging on a cross and being crucified on a cross. That was reserved for slaves. It was reserved for criminals. It It was reserved for insurrectionists. And so then Paul here comes on the scene, and he begins spouting off this news that the Lord of the universe, like the king of the world, died on a cross. And everybody needs to worship him and follow him. Like for a Gentile, you hear that, you laugh. You you think you are out of your, your mind. And so because of that, like Paul had, we got to catch this, Paul had legitimate reason, good reason for why he could have been ashamed of the gospel. And the same is true for us, right? Like nothing has really changed 2,000 years later. Like Jesus' death on the crud, and if they, like you tell people that, they're going to be offended. They're going to think that you're an intolerant, hate-filled, narrow-minded bigot. And not only that, but if you begin to go around and talk about Jesus being the eternal Son of God, being born of a virgin, walking on water, performing all these supernatural miracles that defy scientific explanation, and that his death saves people from sin, and that he rose from the dead, and then one day he's coming back to this earth to like restore all things and make all things new, they're going to look at you like you, have a, like you have a horn going through your head. Like you're a naive, gullible, uneducated, unintelligent, crazy person. The gospel today is just as offensive and just as foolish 2,000 years later as it was back in Paul's day. And because of that then, right? Just like Paul. There's good reason to be ashamed of the gospel. There's good reason for why you could be, for why it's tempting for you to be and for me to be ashamed of the gospel. And so then be honest with yourself, right? I mean, I mean this, like, 
is one of the reasons you're not eager to share the gospel if you were really, really honest with yourself is one of the reasons you're not eager to share the gospel because you're ashamed of the gospel. You're ashamed of its offense and you don't want to offend anybody and you're ashamed of its foolishness and you don't want to look like a fool in the eyes of people is one of the reasons you're not eager to share the gospel because you're ashamed of the gospel. You're ashamed of its offense and you're ashamed of looking like a fool in the eyes of people. If so, if, if, if that's you, then how do you get past that? How, how do you get past being ashamed of the offensiveness and the foolishness of the gospel? Well, that's what Paul tells us next in the rest of verse 16. He explains why he himself is not ashamed of the gospel. And as he explains why he himself is not ashamed of the gospel, he's going to give us the second reason then for why we should be eager to share the gospel. And the second reason is this. You can see this on your hand out there. Reason number two. It's because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. This is what he says in the rest of verse 16. Look there with me. He says again in verse 15, just follow the the flow of thought and the logic here. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Then here comes another for. For, meaning here's the reason I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. So again, do you see the logic here? You following the flow of thought, the, the logic here that Paul's making? The reason he's not ashamed of the gospel and therefore the reason he's eager to share the gospel and preach the gospel is because he knows something. He knows that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's Paul's key here. Like that's Paul's secret here. This is what keeps Paul from being ashamed of the foolishness and the offensiveness of the gospel and what makes him eager to preach the gospel even though it's offensive and foolish. What, what compels him, makes him eager to preach the gospel, even though it's offensive and foolish, is because he knows, he believes, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So then, what, what does that mean? What, what does it mean that the gospel is the power of God for salvation? Well, let's pick this apart real quick. First, think about this word salvation. Word salvation implies we need to be saved from something. And so what exactly do we need when we get to verse what the gospel saves us? It's God's judgment. Like that's what we need to be saved from, what we need to be rescued from. We need to be rescued from, we need to be saved from God's wrath that is against us. Again, we're going to talk about this a lot more, this whole idea of God's wrath next week when we look into verses 18 through 32. But think about that for a minute, right? The creator God of the universe created you. He he created me. And every single one of us have rebelled against him. He created us, and we looked at him and we said, no, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to be my own God, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to worship myself instead of you. And because of that, because of the 
Because God is infinitely glorious and holy and supreme and majestic and we have rebelled against him, then we are deserving of God's wrath. We are deserving of God's eternal just judgment. And that's what we need to be rescued from. That's what we need to be saved from. And this is really important to catch and remember, okay? And, and here's the reason why. Many people think that, that their ultimate need that they need to be rescued from at this current moment is some difficult circumstance that they're walking through right now. That they think their ultimate need, their greatest need of what they need to be rescued from in their life right now is some health issue or some financial struggle or some emotional distress and turmoil that they're experiencing in their life that keeps them up all night. Now, I don't want to make light of any of those things or just fill in the blank for yourself that that you're wrestling with, that you're struggling with, that's difficult and hard that you're walking through. But that's not your greatest need that you need to be rescued from. The greatest need you have to be rescued from is the wrath of God and the judgment of God that is hovering over you because of your sin and your rebellion against Him. And what verse 16 is saying then is that there is only one thing in this entire world that has the power to save and rescue us from the wrath of God that we deserve for our rebellion against Him. And that one and only thing is what Paul calls the gospel, which then leads to the question, what is the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. The gospel is this. It's the good news that Jesus came on this earth and he substituted himself on the cross to absorb the full fury of God's wrath that those who would trust in him deserve for their sin and their rebellion against the God of the universe that they've offended. It's the the good news that God, that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He took God's wrath that we deserve for all the sins that we've committed and our rebellion against him. And because of that then, because Jesus absorbed God's wrath in our place, then on the judgment day that is still to come, we will be saved and rescued from God's wrath because Jesus absorbed it for us in our place. Like, that's the good news, and that's the message. Like, that's the only message that has the power when it's trusted in and believed in, and we place our hope in. That's the only message that has the power to rescue us and to save us from the wrath of God that we deserve for our, for our sins. And this is huge, right? This is, this is huge, especially when it comes to evangelism, especially when it comes to us reaching out to non-Christians and, and those who with those who don't give a vague general personal testimony of how God changed your life. Or for some, it's a whole lot easier to get into an intellectual apologetic debate about the existence of God or the reliability of Scripture or or anything else. It's a whole lot easier to do acts of mercy, to do acts of justice, rather than share the gospel. It's It's a whole lot easier to just invite somebody to church or to invite somebody over to your house for dinner than to share the gospel. And so, like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, everything I just described, good things. Like, I hope everybody in our church would 
doing all of those things, sharing your testimony, talking about the reason for reliability of Scripture, doing acts of mercy, inviting people to church, inviting people to your home for dinner. Like, do all of, do all of those things. But here's what we got to catch. None of those things have the power of God for the salvation of anybody. Like, you can share your testimony, get in apologetic debates, do acts of mercy. You can invite people over dinner. You can invite people to church, for that matter. None of those things, in and of themselves, have the power of God for salvation. The only thing that has the power of God for salvation is the gospel that is verbally communicated and verbally articulated from our, from our lips. And the reality of that, then, should, should cause us not to be ashamed of the gospel, right? Like, we have the only message in the entire world that has the power to rescue and save anyone from the wrath of God that they deserve for their rebellion against him. Like, what do we have to be ashamed about? Like, yeah, it could be a little offensive here and a little foolish here, but do, do we understand the power of what we got? We got we, we're the only, we're the, we have the only message that can save anybody. So we don't have anything to be ashamed about. We don't have any, anything to be worried about. We, sh- we should be eager. Like, this is what we have. We should be eager to share it with anybody and everybody around us. It's, it's like this, and this is kind of an old, like, old school illustration, but it, it works, especially in the midst of, like, pandemic, so... Here we go. Like if you, were, if you were the only one who had the cure and the vaccine for the coronavirus, right? I hope you wouldn't keep it to yourself. I hope you wouldn't think, oh, but if I go out and share it with others, some people might be offended. Oh, if I go out and share it with others and tell everybody, I got it, I got the cure, I got the cure, people are going to think I'm out of my mind. People are going to think I'm crazy. But you're like, man, I got it. And there's people dying and all this stuff. So I need to go out and share it with others and let people know about it. And there's going to be an eagerness that you have, I hope, to not just keep it to yourself and be ashamed of the offensiveness and the foolishness of it. And you're going to go and let people know. You're going to go and share it with others. And that's the point here, that one of the reasons I wonder if we're ashamed of the gospel, and one of the reasons why we're not eager to share the gospel is because reality is we're, we're not really convinced in the power of the gospel. We're really not convinced that it really is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who... Because if we really believed the power of the gospel is the salvation for anyone who believes, then what do we have to be ashamed of? And wouldn't we be eager to share it with others? Which then leads to reason number three. And the final reason we should be eager to share the gospel. It's this. You see it on your hand out there. It's because the gospel has the power to save anyone who believes. The gospel has the power to save anyone who believes. So the final point says here, and again, just follow the shame of the gospel to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So again, you might want to underline that, circle that there. The key word there in the rest of verse 16 is the word everyone. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone. 
Meaning, meaning the gospel doesn't discriminate. Doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or rich or poor or male or female or American or Asian or, or anything else. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of, of everyone who believes. And the rest of verse 16 then, he, he begins to unpack then who this everyone is. Is. Look at the, the end of verse 16 there. He says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Within the context here, we're going to see this all throughout the Romans, but all throughout Romans, but the word Greek here is, is synonymous for the word Gentile. So it's reference to non-Jews. So then this covers everyone, right? Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentile. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone, Jews, non-Jews, for everyone. But even though it's for everyone, he he does say, and he makes it clear here, he says, it's to the Jew first. Which is simply a reference to a historical reality. That the the people, the the people that God entered into covenant relationship first were the Jews. And so then when it comes to the, the timeline of salvation history, when it comes to the timeline of redemption history, the Jews were first, and then the Gentiles. But the main point in all this, again, sound like a resounding gong here, but the main point in all this is that the gospel is for everyone. It's for both of those groups. It's for everyone. And that's the whole point then, just follow this logic, please follow this logic. That's the whole point when he gets into verse 17, what he says next in verse 17. In verse 17, he seeks to prove and defend the fact that the gospel is for everyone. That it's for both groups. It's for both Jew and Gentile. So that's why in verse 17, he says, for, meaning he's going to unpack how the gospel is for everyone, for Jew and and Greek. For, let me explain or, or defend that or prove that. For in it, meaning the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what in the world does that mean? What does it mean that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel? There's a lot of ink and a lot of blood and a lot of books out there that try and answer that question. And so then there, 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 so there's a lot of debate. And so there are some who would say that this whole idea of the righteousness of God in verse 17 here, that it's a reference to a righteousness that God gives or righteousness that God bestows upon those who believe in the gospel. So he declares them to be righteous. They have a righteous status in his sight because of their belief in the gospel. So theologically, this would be a reference to imputed righteousness if that rings a bell for anyone. Others would say this whole idea of the righteousness of God here is a reference to God's covenant faithfulness. And it's highlighting the fact that God is faithful to his covenant. Others would say that the righteousness of God here is a reference to God's mercy and reference to God's salvation. In other words, God demonstrates his righteousness by saving his people, by showing his people mercy and by saving them. 
So there's, and there's a lot of other views, but there's all, all these host of views when it comes to, these differing views when it comes to the righteousness of God. What's that referring to? For whatever that is referring to, 17. You can see it on your hand out there, that I understand the righteousness of God here in verse 17 to be a reference to the righteousness, a reference to God's justice and impartiality in showing no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And one of the, here's, here's, why, here's the, why I think that's the best understanding of what the righteousness of God here is here. And by the way, your understa- whatever your understanding of what the righteousness of God here is in, in verse 17, it impacts your view of the rest of the book of Romans. So it's kind of a big deal. But, but here, here's, here's why that's my understanding of the righteousness of, of, of God here. The, one of the reasons, or the first reason, is because this is what Paul has been has just emphasized at the very end of verse 16. That it's available, the gospel is available to everyone who believes. Salvation is available to everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile. And then verse 17 then just unpacks that and explains that and proves that. But another reason is because this is what Paul's going to explain and defend starting in verse 18 of chapter 1 and extending all the way through the end of chapter 4. In other words, you can see this on your hand out there, that in chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is going to unpack and explain how God's just impartiality is revealed in the fact that Jew and Gentile are both condemned under God's judgment. In other words, that's, that's the negative side of God being impartial. <laughs> that's the negative side of God being just. That's the negative side of God's righteousness. The negative side is that neither group gets a leg up on the other group. Instead, both groups are condemned under God's wrath and judgment. In chapter 3, verse 21, then, through the end of chapter 4, Paul explains the positive side of God's righteousness and God's, of, and God's impartiality. And the positive side, and you see this on your out is that God's just impartiality is revealed in the fact that all who believe, both Jew and Gentile, are justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, in this way then, here's here's the point. Verses 16 and 17 function kind of as a thesis statement, a theme statement that is then further unpacked and explained starting in chapter 1, verse 18, and extending all the way through the end of chapter 4. And so then this is what the gospel reveals. Stay with me here. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals the fact that God is impartial, that He's just, that He's righteous. He doesn't show any distinction based upon ethnicity, race, gender, economic status, social class, anything. He is impartial. He's just. That's the meaning of the righteousness of God here in verse 17. And it's seen in the fact that both groups are equally condemned under his wrath, and it's seen in the fact that both groups can be justified through faith in Christ, through all who, by all who believe. It doesn't matter who they are. God shows no distinction. And this is the main point then that Paul is emphasizing in the end of verse 16 and the end of verse 
17. He's showing how God is impartial and just. And he's also showing, you see this on your hand out there, he's showing how our salvation isn't based on our ethnicity or race or gender or anything else. It's based on faith. And since it's based on faith, it's available to everyone. It's available to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter who you are. That's why throughout these two verses, wrath of God. And so you see that, right? Look, at, look there again at the very end of verse 16 or kind of the middle of verse 16. He says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? Who believes. In other words, it's not based on your ethnicity. It's not based on a Gentile becoming a Jew. It's not based upon anything else. It's just based upon faith, salvation based upon faith. He repeats the same thing in verse 17 when he says, look at verse 17 again. He says, for in it, meaning the gospel, the righteousness of God, meaning the justice of God, the impartiality of God, and showing no distinction between Jew and Gentile, it's revealed, and then look what he says, from faith for faith. Most translations translate that as from faith to faith. And that's probably a, a better idea of what Paul is getting at here. That the righteousness of God, the impartiality of God is revealed from faith to faith. Which in all likelihood within the context here, it's referring to the faith of the Jews to the faith of the Gentiles. That God's impartiality is revealed in both groups being saved by faith. And one of the reasons we know that then is because how Paul concludes there in verse 17. Look there again. He includes... He concludes in verse 17 by quoting a verse found in the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And the reason that he concludes and quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, is once again to prove that God doesn't save a person based on their ethnicity, Jew or Gentile. He saves a person based on their faith. So that's why in verse 17 he says, As it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. The word live or or life there here, we're going to see that all throughout the book of Romans, is specifically referring to eternal life. Being saved from death and, and being saved to eternal life. So then Paul here quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 to prove that the way that one attains eternal life isn't their ethnicity. It's their faith. Saved, given life by faith, not by your ethnicity. The one who has faith will, will, will live. So, do, do you see, that was a lot there, but do, do you see how the reality then, we're coming full circle, how the reality of that then made Paul eager to share the gospel in Rome? How the reality of all that we just looked at there, all those bullet points on your hand out there, how that that compelled him and caused him to be filled with an eagerness to share the gospel with those in Rome. Like Rome was primarily composed of of who? Of Gentiles. And, And so then if the power of God for the salvation, if the gospel was the power of God for the salvation of only the Jews... Paul wouldn't have been eager to get to Rome. But if the gospel is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, man, let me get to Rome. 
and eager to get to, get to Rome. If the gospel is only power of God's salvation for the Jews, and, and Paul went to Rome, then the gospel wouldn't be relevant to 85% of the people in Rome. So not much eagerness there. But since the gospel is, is the power of God for salvation to anyone and everyone who believes, Jew or Gentile, then get me to Rome. I'm eager to get to Rome. And we should have the same sort of eagerness this morning. Like, just think about that, right? If, if the gospel were, were only for a select group of people, like 30-year-old white middle-class Americans who lived in the suburbs, and that, that's, that's, the gospel is salvation in our eagerness, live in the, Americans who live in the And so we just have this on and off eager switch. But if the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who, who believes in Jesus by faith, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what country you're from, doesn't matter what gender you're from, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter. If the gospel of God is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes in Jesus by faith, then we should be eager to share the gospel like all the time because we know that the gospel has the power, has the power of God to like save anybody that we're with. It doesn't matter if they're American or Asian or white or black or suburban or urban or rich or poor or middle class or upper class or lower class or male or female or religious or non-religious or anybody else. Like no one is outside the scope of the gospel's power to save. It has the power to save everyone and anyone who believes. And so the reality of that then, like as you think about that, like, as you think about your neighborhood, as you think about your workplace, as you think about your kids, as you think about your extended family, as you think about different social contexts in which you find yourself, you're like, man, I, I'm eager to go back then to my neighborhood. I'm eager to go back to my workplace tomorrow and engage in the lives of my coworkers. I'm eager to get back home and share with my kids. I'm eager to, for Thanksgiving dinner with the extended family. I'm, I'm eager because I got a message that is, that is for everyone. And is available to, for everyone who believes. Not only that, as a church, it should cause us to be eager to like send more and more missionaries. Like if we know the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who, who believes, then that everyone includes that unreached people group in the Middle East. It includes that unreached people group in North Africa. It, we don't just preach a, a white, American, middle-class gospel. And that's all, and that's who the gospel is for. We have a gospel that's available and that has the power of God to save anyone and everyone who believes irregardless of any distinctions that we make in the world in which we live. And since that's true, then like, let's get busy and let's be eager to share the gospel. And like, yeah, some are going to think you're crazy and some are going to be offended in the process.
But at the same time, some, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God, will come to believe. And this is really my heart. Like, we've gone through a hard five months with all sorts of things going on in the world around us. And my biggest fear, one of my biggest fears as, as one of your pastors, is that in the middle of all that's been going on, and there are big things that have been going on, so I'm not making light of any of it. But one of my biggest concerns is that we become so focused on all this other mess and craziness that's going on around us that we've, we've become distracted and we've completely lost focus on our mission as a church, why we exist, what we're here ultimately to do as a church, which is to be eager to share the gospel. Challenges that are involved in lose sight, to talk about all these other things that are going on, rather than the one message that has the power to save anybody, then we've completely missed it. And Satan has won. And he's distracted us and caused us to lose focus and caused us to completely lose sight of the mission that we've been called to as a church and as Christians. And so I I pray that verse 16 and verse 17 here would remind us and even call us to a greater eagerness, a greater focus, and to be cautious and careful of being distracted from sharing and telling others of the one message that has the power to say. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder for all of us in this room. It's so easy to be ashamed. It's so easy to keep quiet. It's so easy to be anxious and fearful and worried about offending people and about appearing foolish in the eyes of others. But God, I pray that we would be reminded afresh this morning what the gospel is and the power it has and the uniqueness that it is. There is no other message out there today or or ever will be that can do in a life that the gospel can. And there is no greater need out there today than being saved from the wrath of God. There's a lot of needs, a lot of issues that need to be addressed and, and talked through and, and not neglected. But the ultimate need that exists for all of humanity is to be saved from the just judgment of God that we deserve for our sins. And we have the answer. We have the message. We have the power Not in and of itself, but in the message that can do that.
And it's available to everyone. But it's not, people don't have to change their skin color. People don't have to change their gender. People don't have to change anything. They simply have to believe. And so God, I pray even right now, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't believe, I pray that they would believe. I pray that they would place their hope and trust in Jesus and His substitutionary death on the cross alone as the one and only hope that they have to be rescued and saved from the judgment and the wrath of God they deserve for their rebellion against Him. I pray that you would work that supernatural work in their heart even, even now. And for those of us who do believe, Lord, help us to quit being so passive, tentative, scared, and sidetracked and help us to remember that the hope that we have been given in the gospel and pray that that would compel us to be eager to share it with others. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.